0: Our topic tonight out of Revelation 17, the harlot and the beast. You've heard of the beauty and the beast. Well, this is the harlot and the beast. And uh, I wonder if uh, that's where Disney guy or whoever <laughs> originally wrote the, uh, the beauty and the beast, whether that concept came out of here. There's a lot of uh, things that are taken from the Bible. And uh, so this one's about the harlot and the beast. So let's get into the chapter, chapter 17, starting verse 1. Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication. And the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication, and so he carried me away in the spirit. Now again, there are those who try and make Revelation literal, and this would be very, very... uh, imaginative to to make literal right so here you got this woman she's floating out in the ocean like maybe on a little raft or something like that and on many waters so she floats from sea to sea to ocean to ocean maybe she's got a yacht and uh and the kings of the earth come and uh, commit fornication with her right and uh just so pretty pretty uh, amazing but revelation is not literal right the majority of it's not literal a lot of them is symbolic right taken away in the spirit right so Most of it, John is in, all of it, John's in the spirit. God's showing him symbolically, and we'll see the symbolism. The Bible explains its own symbolism. We've already seen this. One of the principles we've looked at is Revelation is not chronological. I've seen attempts to try and make it chronological and squeeze that chronology into seven years, three and a half years. Uh, No, it's cyclical. And so now we're starting another section, and it's going to repeat all the stuff we've seen thus far repeating and repeating and repeating itself uh, for review, and it's important, and that's why God wants us to know, and that's why he repeats it in so many ways, but also because you get different aspects, just like we have four Gospels, uh, we have First Kings, Second Kings, and we also have 1 Samuel, Second Samuel, covering the same history, but from a different angle, different perspective, and so he's just showing us different angles of the same time periods over and over and over again, with more depth each time. So it says many waters, right? So we've looked at this. What, and the text is from this chapter on what these waters represent. It's sitting on many waters. So we have a great harlot sitting on many waters. And so the Bible tells us in Revelation 17, same chapter, verse 15. Then he said to me, the waters which you saw were, where the harlot sits, are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. And of course, when the Bible says tongues, it's not talking about, you know, a cow's tongue or a tongue out of someone's mouth. It's about languages, right? So very different languages. So this harlot sitting on many waters represents that she's sitting on, ruling over, having leadership over, having impact over, influence over, many different nations, many different people groups, many different languages, right? So it's a worldwide system, right? So not just, again, just one person, one bad guy. No, it's a whole entire system that's out there that's influencing the world. Okay, so she's sitting on many waters. So there's this harlot. Well, what's a harlot, right? Well, we've looked at that. So this woman sitting on a scarlet beast was full of blasphemous names. So you have this woman. and We've looked at what the woman represents in the Bible, and she's sitting on a beast, and we've looked at beasts. So beasts are political, political... Um, entities, organizations, and it's a scarlet beast, which is significant. We'll see that here in a little bit. Scarlet beast and names of blasphemy. And we've seen blasphemy mentioned already in Revelation, and we've seen from the Bible what blasphemy is. is. Uh, they claim that Yeshua was committing blasphemy when he was claiming to be able, when he forgave sins. It wasn't blasphemy because he was able to forgive sins. He was God, and so he was able to forgive sins, but they were right that if he wasn't God and he was claiming to be able to forgive sins, that would have been blasphemy and claiming to have the authority to be God, right? Uh, God's authority, God's power um, being God, right? So they claimed blasphemy, and again, it would have been if he wasn't God in the flesh, but he did. He was God and he became flesh, and thus it was not blasphemy to claim that. But this power also has names of blasphemy, and it's a beast, and it's scarlet, and has a woman sitting on it. Now, a woman in the Bible. So, for a review, I have from Jeremiah chapter six, verse two. I have likened the daughter of Zion to a comely and delicate woman. And in Revelation twelve, we saw this nice woman, this woman standing on the moon with the sun uh, clothing her, and the stars on her head, and, and she's pregnant and ready to give birth to the child uh, who will rule all nations. And uh, and so we have this. So. Uh, when God's people are following God, made out to be a comely, a delicate woman, a good woman. And also in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2, says, I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you a chaste virgin to Messiah. Right, And so God's people, God's people following the Lord at whatever time period, Zion back uh, in Jeremiah or here in, 2 Corinthians talking about the last days and the bride of Messiah that is chaste, pure, virgin, pure of doctrine, pure of thought, pure of mind, pure of life and uh, God's people. A woman representing God's people when they're following when it's a good woman representing God's people, following the Lord. And in contrast to that, in the book of Ezekiel, many other places we could have quoted, but just for one text, Ezekiel 16:1 the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, cause Jerusalem to know her abominations. Say to Jerusalem, you trusted in your own beauty, played the harlot because of your fame, and poured out your harlotry on everyone passing by who would have it. Now, so when it says Jerusalem, is it talking about buildings? Is it talking about landmass? Is it talking about the dimensions of, of, of territory, of, of, of land? When it says Jerusalem, what is it talking about? We're talking about a city. Is it, again, the buildings of the city, the walls of the city, the land of the city. If the city's vacant, it's not much of a city, is it? Right? No, he's talking about the people. Right. So when the people are not following the Lord, but still being professed people of God, still professing the walk, but are not living the walk, they're referred to as a harlot. And again, we could have quoted many texts for that. And so in Revelation, same thing. We've looked at a pure woman. God's people, while they're following the Lord. And in Revelation, we have a harlot, right? So we've got these two woman, women in Revelation. Two women, a pure woman, and this harlot woman in Revelation 17. Again, lots of parallels. We'll see another one as we continue in the chapter today. But lots of parallels. We have a lamb. We have a beast. We have a good woman. We have a bad woman. We have New Jerusalem. We have Babylon. Right, so all these parallels. We have the true, and we have the counterfeit, And that's what's constantly taking place. So this false woman is the counterfeit for the true woman. So you have the people of God who are actually following God. You have other people who are also professing to follow God, but who are not in reality. And she's riding on the beast. So the woman representing religious aspect of it. And then we have the beast riding on the beast. You have the political aspect of it. So you have a religio-political system joined together, united together, right? And so that's unique. And so that's another expansion. We've looked at the beast, we've looked at the political aspects of the party, and now with the religious aspect as well. In verse 3, I saw the woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which a name full of blasphemies, having seven heads and ten horns. Have we ever seen a beast so far with seven heads and ten horns? We certainly have, right? In two places. In Daniel 7 and in Revelation 13. So again, it's reviewing, it's reviewing. It's not chronological, it's cyclical. Revelation, Daniel and Revelation, keep on reviewing over and over again. So Daniel 7, it had four beasts, but one of them has four heads. So it's seven heads and ten horns on the one beast. In Revelation 13, it's the same animals, the same description, except it's composite into one beast, and it's got seven heads and ten horns. And they also, in both those, are coming up out of the water, just like the woman riding on the water, right? So she's sitting on many waters, and then she's sitting on a beast. Well, which is it? She's sitting on a beast or she's sitting on the waters, right? Because, again, it's the symbolism. She's over the political aspect of the system, and she's over many peoples and nations and languages, right? So it's both, right? So again, you make that imagery a right? woman riding on a scarlet beast, you know, with 10 heads and seven. That's what's going to come and riding down the street, right? No, it's all the symbolism. We have to understand Revelation in light of the Bible symbolism. Not symbolism you make up. The Bible explains itself for its own symbols. Okay, so the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. Now those are unique colors. Those are, you know, specific colors it's mentioning. Uh, We we saw that once before with a different power, with two specific colors mentioned, again, clashing colors, and it fit exactly as as we saw it. I think that was Revelation chapter 11 or something like that. But here we are, scarlet and uh, purple. Now Not too many people you see walking down the road wearing scarlet and purple together at the same time. Maybe you can go to Walmart, take some pictures. I don't know, go somewhere down the street, Manhattan, take a bunch of pictures, look at some pictures, see how many people you see wearing scarlet and uh, purple together at the same time. Not real popular uh, uh, colors in combination together, but the Bible specifically mentions those two colors will be worn by this religio-political system that, again, extends for a long period of time And so let's look around the world and see if we can find anywhere where scarlet and purple are main colors that are worn consistently by this institution, okay? And gold and precious stones and pearls, let's see. And having in her head a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornications, okay? She is arrayed in purple and scarlet. Arrayed in purple and scarlet. Arrayed in purple and scarlet. Arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls arrayed in purple and here the pope is in this i guess this is a modern confessional i guess they don't have even walls on them anymore i don't know (laughs) i've never been to one it just seems so strange just even looking at that guy talking through a wall you know (laughs) You can't see him walk away? I mean, what do you need need a wall for? You can't recognize the voice if it's of a congregation of 100 people, 200 people, right? Uh, So what's the purpose? But whatever, that's what they do. This confessional, claiming to be able to forgive sins. Persons confessing the sin, you are forgiven, go do 10, 20, whatever, prayers, Marys, whatever. Uh, Claiming to be able to forgive sins, a confessional booth, arrayed in purple, Arrayed in purple and gold. Arrayed in scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. And scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. Arrayed in purple and scarlet together. Right? I mean, it's you know, just over and over. We can show hundreds, we can do this all night long. Arrayed in purple and scarlet. I mean, who would come up with that? I mean, it's like they read the Bible and said, hey, that's great. Let's do that. Let's copy that. Let's follow that. So did they read the Bible and say, oh, look, this harlot wears these colors. Let's make this the colors for our leaders. Or did God know hundreds of years ahead of time what strange clashing colors this power is going to pick? and then identified it that way ahead of time. I think it's pretty amazing. Adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. Adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. Arrayed in purple and scarlet. Arrayed in purple and scarlet. And gold. So we have again the counterfeit. We have the counterfeit and we have the real. As they're killing Yeshua, they put a robe on him, like a kingly robe. If you be the king of the Jews and the, you know, who, and your son of God, then put the, who's hitting you? You're a prophet, who's hitting you? They put this robe on him and this crown of thorns on him, bleeding red. Scarlet blood, he's the king and dressed and his robe is dipped in blood. That's the real, I mean, you look at the contrast, right? Between the one and the other, one lowly being born in a sheep, a cave where sheep are kept. I don't know if you've ever been around sheep, but if you got around sheep and there's around sheep and there's a sheep pen, there's poop all over the place. Right? And you got, uh, and if you got poop, you got sheep poop, you got flies. Right? It's impossible to not have flies if you got sheep poop around. If you got sheep, you got flies. It's so not born in this pretty thing, you know, this pretty little tent, this pretty little manger thing, or the star over it and people visiting, you know. No. It was a filthy, dirty, stinky, place to be born, flies and other bugs and mosquitoes. That's the conditions he's born under. In the cold of winter, outside, and even at coronation, lowly coming on a donkey, going around, not having a place to lay his head and then dying and having to use someone else's tomb for his burial. What a contrast between the two, the lamb and the counterfeit, adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls and riches in mass amounts. Arrayed in scarlet, adorned with gold, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations. Cup that they say is the actual blood of Messiah. Having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations. The Lord is made, body, blood, soul, and divinity, through his priest during the consecration of the host. Our Lord, who is truly present in the consecrated host, the blessed sacrament, is on the altar for public worship. So through the priest, the priest they teach has the power to bring God down at the prayer and bring him into the bread and into the juice turning it into his actual body and blood, and then they drink it. Now, if they really believe it's the blood of the Messiah, which they do, and they're drinking it, that's right against the Torah, which tells you do not drink blood of anything, of even a clean animal, of a lamb or of anything. Do not drink its blood. Do not eat its blood. How much more the blood of a human How much more the blood of God? Yeshua said, eat of my body, drink of my blood, but he was talking symbolism there. Not actual. They believe it's the actual. And then after they bring it down, they say, come and now worship it. Worship this piece of bread. Worship this cup with this blood in it. The juice in it that they say is blood. Abominations. A cup full of abominations. God saw this, knew this ahead of time, showed it to John, and depicted it so clearly. And on her forehead, a name was written, right? So forehead, we've seen forehead before, mark of the beast on the forehead and on the hand. On her forehead, a name was written. Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, and of the abominations of the earth. So now again, if this was literal, she's got a huge forehead. Right? Either it's in such small print you couldn't read it. Right? Uh, and again, she's sitting on many waters. So either she's very broad, very big, <laughs> to sit on many waters, uh, or it's the symbolism. Right? So on her forehead, again, what the thinking is, what the teaching is, what the, what the mind of the system is, is mysterious. It's hidden. It's almost secret, it's cloaked in religiosity, it's cloaked in looking good. Babylon the great, we'll come back to this Babylon, of this, how this symbolism of this system is really Babylon revived. Babylon the great, the mother of harlots. Now in order to be a mother, what does someone have to have? children mother of other harlots so you have this religious political system that is this woman and the beast together but she has followers she has other organizations that are following in its footsteps and we read that last week in second thessalonians chapter 2. before the coming of the son of man there will be a falling away first These women that were not harlots, righteous people with righteous doctrines for the amount of knowledge that they had and understood, falling away from the amount of knowledge and wisdom that God had originally given them, and then becoming harlots. And from the one thing they originally came out of, from the system they originally came out of, broke away from, protested, they're now rejoining as daughters. Of the harlot and have become thus harlots themselves. And again, very important, we're not talking about individuals in any of these systems being described here, and whether the, the, the system itself, the woman, the papacy, uh, and the political aspect of it, all the way from popes down to individual people, any of them can be saved. They're following the light that they understand from God's word, regardless of the confusion that they've been under from generations and generations. It's not for us to judge, but theologically, doctrinally, it's blasphemy, it's abominations, according to the word of God. And thus, of course, if our mind is filled with false doctrines and abominations and heresy according to the word of God, it certainly would be much harder to be saved under that. But again, it's not for us to judge. And any individual, again, from any of them could be, as well as from the daughters, as well as from the congregations and the groups and the denominations and the systems that are following suit to the original mother harlot and of the abominations of the earth. So let's look at this Babylon in Revelation, in Genesis chapter eleven, verse nine. Therefore, its name is called Babel. Talking about the original. Tower of Babel. Because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. Right? So, Babel meaning confusion. And if we look at the word Babylon itself, take it apart in English, Babylon, B-A-B-Y, Babylon. Right? What does B-A-B-Y spell? Baby. Babylon. It's called Babylon because of confusion, because babies babble. Right? They don't talk a language. They don't talk an understandable language. They don't talk a, a reasoned language that anyone knows or understands. They babble. And so Babylon was called Babel because no one understood anyone else. It was Babylon. Right? And God wants now to, to take it to all the languages to bring us together into unity. And that's where he gave the, one of the miracles that Shavuos and pouring out of the Holy Spirit after Yeshua's resurrection was to unite the languages that people understood in their own languages to undo what happened in the original Tower of Babel, the confusion of the languages and the separating. God wants us to bring us together. Not a babbling going on, that's Babylon, but an understanding of the Word of God and his truth. So this confusion, it's Babel, Babylon representing confusion. So Babylon was a man-made system of religion. It was a political system, it was a nation, but it also had within it a man-made system of religion. They had religion, and it was man-made. And we see that the the whole system, the whole city is man-made, the whole institution was man-made. And we have that quote in the Bible from Nebuchadnezzar himself, in Daniel chapter 4, verse 30. And the king spoke, saying, Is this not great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty, right? So he's claiming, and that's when he loses his mind. Powerful uh, chapter. We've looked at that. That's why all of Daniel is important, not just the prophetic aspects, but the story uh, chapters as well. That he claimed the power and authority to build it. Well, that's what Babylon is. And so, again, the modern day system is like that as well, boasting of its power. Pope Leo XIII said, we hold upon this earth the place of God Almighty. The popes are representing the place of God Almighty on earth. That's what they're claiming. That is blasphemy. And it's not just this one quote. We can quote many, 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 many different places of infallibility and other type aspects. Again, the ability to forgive sins, the attributes of God Almighty. And we read in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And we saw last week, it's not talking about a literal temple in Jerusalem, but the people of God temple, that he sits as God, representing God to the people. Right, and that's what we just said. We hold upon this earth the place of God Almighty. And that's exactly what Paul saw was happening and going to happen. The Caesars were doing that and then Rome continued from its pagan form into its papal form and continued to do that. The leader representing God Almighty to the people and sitting among the people. That's exactly what was prophesied there. And we saw Uh, Again, Protestant reformers, Luther, Calvin, Wesley, many, many others, interpreted 2 Thessalonians to apply that text exactly to that power. Babylon was also a center of sun worship. Archaeology has shown they worshiped the sun, man-made system of religion. One main aspect of it was sun worship. Does this system that uh, we're reading about, seeing in this chapter, scarlet, purple, also having a system of sun worship aspect to it? Well, let's take a look. Oh, before we go there, worship of nature. In ancient Babylonia, the sun was worshiped from immoral antiquity. Immortal, immoral in uh, iniqu- antiquity. Immemorial. thank you, immemorial <laughs> antiquity. All right. so in Babylon, again, this system of Babylon, Babylon worshiped the sun how about this modern system? On your left-hand side, this picture, this is uh, in Bethlehem, in the basement of a church. And to me, I don't know about to you, but to me that looks like a fireplace. Right? you got the two columns on either side, you got a mantle there, and then you got this inset area there, right, and so you can easily put some wood in there and burn it. And for all I know, maybe that's what it originally was. I don't know. That's what it looks like to me. And then they got some curtains and drapes all over it, which they're constantly changing, and, and they're pretty dingy and dungy and, and pictures all over the place and smoke and incense. And then inside that little fireplace area, you see this little star there? Well, on the right-hand side is a blow-up of what's inside there with some light in there, all right? And so this is where they say Yeshua was born. Now is that what you pictured as the, uh, as the, as the, 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 the sheep stall, the sheep manger? Does that look like a sheep manger to you? that look like where he was born on marble with marble pl- pillows on either side with a, with a little mantle above him and uh, a star underneath him and all these candles above him that, that star it's a what i don't know 16 point star I mean, someone can count it a whole bunch of it's a sunbeam he was born on top of a metal sunbeam is <laughs> what they say in the basement of a church now, this is a church in Jerusalem. Not just a church. This is the Church of the Holy Sepulcher. And the other one's not just a church. That's Bethlehem. That's, I mean, tons, millions of tourists go there all the time. All right, so this one, the Church of the Holy Sepulcher. On the left-hand side, do you see the building inside the building? You see like a little building that the, the sunbeam is coming right down on that little building? That is where they say, that is the tomb where they say he was buried. Is that how you pictured the tomb where he was buried and the stone rolled away? I don't even know where the stone would have been. So a building inside a building is what they say is that is the tomb where they say he was buried. And just happened to be underneath the sun. Look at the roof of the big building. There's a big sun up there. And it's shaped with a a light uh, where light can come in and the sunbeam can come in right down upon it. Now also in this same building, on your right hand side is another section of this church where they say, you see, they got can- candles and incense and paintings and, and a statue and another altar there or table, whatever, and all that marble and all like that. That's where they say he died. That's where they say he was crucified. Does that look like the Calvary? Does that look like the hill where they put a, put a cross on the ground and killed him? Well, look at that, right? Lo and behold, on the floor. What's that? A sun. So he was born on top of a sun. He died underneath the sun, uh, or he, he died right above the sun, and he's buried right below the sun. <laughs> you think sun is a major aspect of this system, placed right in the middle of the, right in these specific spots where millions and millions of tours, where they say the most significant events of Earth's history have taken place. And there's the sunbeam, right there, the sun image, the image of the sun. And here, popes, placing the host, which again they say is the body of Yeshua, come and worship him. And they place him inside a sunbeam. A sun star, sunburst, whatever you want to call this thing. Actually, the name of this thing is monstrous or something like that. Monster, it's monstrous, monstrous to me. <laughs> it's an abomination. Get the exact name for it. Something like that, something along that line. That's how I remember, though. It's monstrous to me. <laughs> it's worship, worshiping this thing, this sun, sun worship. That's Babylon, modern day. The Catholic mirror. Reason and sense demand the acceptance of one or the other of these alternatives. Either Protestantism and the keeping holy of Saturday. So obviously he's not referring to all Protestantism but a specific Protestantism that also, so the Protestantism that says holy, uh, sola scriptura, the word of God and only the word of God and, which keeps holy Saturday. Sabbath or I don't know how you pronounce that word Catholicity and the keeping of holy of Sunday compromise is impossible. So you got one or the other. A Protestantism that keeps Sabbath or Catholicism and Sunday. One or the other is what he's saying. They really should only be one or the other. So again, sun is the Sunday, sun worship. Babylon was also the center of image worship. What does the Bible say about image worship? In the Ten Commandments, the Second Commandment. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Pretty clear, right? Don't make any image and bow down and worship it. Does this system have images that it prays to, that it worships? certainly does. And what is over the heads of this woman and baby? And woman-baby analogy is found in a lot of pagan religions, Egyptian, uh, Babylonian, other... Different religions had this woman-baby symbolism in it. What is around the head of this baby and this woman? A sun, right? A circle, a sun circle, a halo. (coughs) And this is supposed to be Peter, originally was Jupiter. And what is over his head? A sun, another sun. Sun's all over the place. And here is a statue of the baby in a nice clean manger (coughs) and bowing down and kissing it, showing reverence to this statue, worshipping this statue. Image worship, Babylon, modern Babylon. Modern confusion, again, it's confusion. But even in Babylon, if you remember, Nebuchadnezzar came to the Lord. Even the leader came to the Lord and is saved. Again, it's not for us to judge anyone. God can do anything with anyone. But the system as a whole, the teaching as a whole, is the fulfillment of Bible prophecy, of confusion, of abominations. I, Revelation 17, Acts 17, verse 6. I saw the woman drunk with the blood of saints And with the blood of martyrs of Yeshua, has this system martyred millions of people, drunk with their blood, not literally drinking it, but killing them? Yes, definitely. Estimates of 50 million Protestants during the Dark Ages killed by this system, burned at the stake, or put on racks in the basement of churches? and pulled apart, if that's not drunk with the blood, how could somebody turn that lever as they're watching the person being pulled apart slowly, agonizing cries coming out, hearing the ripping of the muscles and tendons until there's a pop in the joints. And the person's screaming in agony and continuing to turn and turn until the arm pops off and the other arm or a leg pops off. And the person is still alive. If that's not drunk with the blood of the martyrs and instruments of torture, metal poking and cutting, torturing skinning them alive, atrocities. The Bible predicted it exactly. And of course, the Protestants and also to Jews. Here's a woodcut of a nun holding a crucifix. And you notice, they usually have Yeshua in either one or two forms. As a baby, a helpless baby that is dependent on his mother, or dead. One or the other is most often how he is depicted. having to be held by someone else in this point, a a nun, a woman. So she's holding the crucifix and a Jewish boy forced to kneel down and bow and pray to it or his head's going to get cut off. And in the background, and I'm sure that nun saw many heads get cut off. How could she stand there holding something that symbolizes the Messiah and watch young boys and young girls and men and women get their heads cut off because they refuse to bow and pray to your statue because the bible the ten commandment tells you not to in the background a man stripped naked hoisted up in the air so birds can pluck away at his skin and his eyes atrocities abominations, exactly as the Bible described it. The angel said to me, I tell you the mystery of the woman and the beast that carries her, which has seven heads and ten horns. So I think it's been pretty plain so far, but he's going to explain even more, give us some more hints. If this wasn't enough, he's going to give us more hints so that we can identify this power even further and see aspects of it, even clearer. Now, interesting, it's mentioning this woman, and again, mo- uh, popular interpretations today have this antichrist person, many identify as a man, but I don't know if the Bible specifically mentions a man, but then also this woman. So they have this guy and this woman, I don't know, what do they picture this guy and this woman working together, the one who rides on the water, the one who sits in some third temple. And uh, the woman's riding around, and she's committing adulteries, and maybe because she's married to the I don't know. How, but if you try and make Revelation literal, that's what you have to kind of come up with: places for all these different characters, and put it down to just seven-year period of time. But no, he's talking about the history of the earth and the systems of the earth. So some more descriptions here. Very clear, he says he's going to make it. He's going to explain the mystery. Verse eight. The beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. Okay, so was that helpful? Did that explain it more? I think it does. Was, is not, and will ascend. This is all review. We've seen this. Not those exact words, but if you think about it, was and is not and will ascend. Now, what else does that sound familiar to that we've already read in Revelation? And another way he puts it then at the end, was and is not and yet is. In Revelation chapter 4, verse 8, the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, and who is to come. We've seen that word in several different ways in the beginning of Revelation. That's the true, and we have the counterfeit. Yeshua, who was, when was he in the was state? When he's from eternity, and when he came down, born from that woman, from God's people, from literally from Miriam, Mary, in a cow's stall in a cave, and lived here, who was, and who is, he currently is, and who is to come, right? He's coming again. He continues to live, even though he was crucified, resurrected, he continues to live, who is, he was, and he is, and he is coming back again, right? But the beast, who was, is not, and yet is, who was, is not, and will ascend. So what is that talking about? Let's look at it. Was, is not, will ascend. The was for 1,260 years from 538 to 1798. Now that time period, 1,260 years in the day form, how long in days is 1,260? Three and a half years? Three and a half years. Yeshua ministered for three and a half years. Who was, is not, during the time of the deadly wound at the end of 1798, Napoleon sends his General Berthier in there, takes the Pope captive, takes the Vatican City Count captive, takes away its power and its authority. The Pope dies in the prison, and the Vatican loses its power for a time. So it was not for a while. But will ascend, and the wound would be healed. That's what it prophesies in Revelation 17 that it would ascend, that it would, the wound would be healed. And we saw a newspaper article that says the the wound has been healed, the pack has been signed, that uh, it regained its power, and it has certainly regained its power. So it was not and was wound was healed, and again the counterfeit or the reality, right, Yeshua. Missed for three and a half years, was not. He was buried in the grave for three days. He did not, right? He was dead. He was not walking the earth. He was not interacting. And yet he ascended, right? The Messiah ascended from the tomb. He's not here. Even on the door of the tomb, they've got a sign that says, he's not here. He has ascended. And so the counterfeit was, was not, and ascended. Again, perfect counterfeit. Revelation 17, verse 9. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. All right, so this is still in the simplified explanation of the mystery. So you get that one? That's pretty simple. Here's the mind. So, how is this seven heads are seven mountains? on which the woman sits. So she sits on mountains, she sits on water, she does a lot of sitting, this woman. She's sitting all over the place, and she literally is. So what is it talking about here? From the Catholic Encyclopedia, it is within the city of Rome, called the City of Seven Hills, that the entire Vatican State proper is confined. How did God know that's where they were going to put their capital? How did he know there was a place in the world, hundreds of years in advance, that has seven hills in a close proximity that they're going to put their capital? God knows. He knows all things. And even from a travel journal, it is common to hear references of the famed seven hills of Rome throughout history because they are intertwined with Rome. So it's known. It's very well-known. Torah things, Torah... uh, Historical writings, the seven hills of Rome. That's what the Bible says. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. Verse 10, Revelation 17, still there are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. And when he comes... He must continue a short time. The beast that was, is not, is himself also the eighth and is of the seven, and is going to perdition. Okay, you understand that, of course, right? From what we've been studying, 12 chapters of Daniel, we're up to 17 to 29 chapters we've covered and it's just reviewing and reviewing and reviewing. We should know this. Seven kings, five have fallen, one is, the other is not yet come. And then there's also an eighth, which is of the seven. Okay? Let's explain it for those who maybe haven't been here and didn't see it and didn't know. All right. So Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel chapter 7, the metals, four metals in five sections, and the four beasts in five sections, and they represent Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, pagan Rome, and papal Rome. Again, we've seen this over and over and over again. Five kings have fallen. Rome eventually fell, was not, right? So we have the five, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, pagan Rome, papal Rome, when papacy was, uh, was before it was not, right, they fell. And then the sixth, the second beast of Revelation 13, which you identified when we did Revelation 13. Again, if you missed that, you'd be able to get the earlier recordings on that. Comes up when the papacy receives its deadly wound. It received its deadly wound in 1798. Right around that same time, another power was coming up out of the earth, out of an unpopulated area, where not many people, languages and tongues were. And so that's the sixth one. And the seventh is the union of the first and the second beast. So the papacy yet is, so it gets revived, it gets its power back again and unites with a power source. And then eight, the union of the whole world under this power. So and that, so then that one is it, but it's also of all the seven as well. The same. Babylonian doctrines, the same apostasy and teaching. Okay, Revelation 17:1 said, the great harlot who sits on many waters with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication. So that's what we're gonna look at now. The kings of the earth and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Verse 18 says a similar thing. And the woman whom you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. So she not only commits fornication with them, but she has reigning rulership over them. That she influenced them. They come begging to her for their fornication. They come begging to her. She rules over them. Well, is that the case? Well, let's take a look at some pictures. Reagan meeting with the Pope. Presidents of the United States. President Clinton. And his wife, Hillary Clinton, meeting with the Pope. He's a religious leader. A small little city. A few acres in size. No military power. But they go to this power. President Bush with gifts. President Bush again in the Vatican. They go to the Vatican. Like, oh, you happen to be in town. All right, come, I'll meet you a little bit. You have a lot of friends, so I'll meet with you. No, they go there. Calls him Holy Father. And the Pope didn't say, oh, no, no, you made a mistake. Don't call me Holy Father. There's only one holy. Don't call me a Holy Father. There's one father. He's in heaven. No, no. Oh, okay, yeah, that's a nice name for me. Yeah, call me that. That's what I want you to call me. It's blasphemy. But the president, most powerful country in the world, Holy Father, please come walk on the red carpet. I would lay out for you. President Trump, on his first international visit, went to the Vatican. Russian Orthodox or Greek Orthodox, I don't know which one this is. Kissing together, again, Russian or Greek Orthodox, I don't know which one. Putin, atheistic countries, coming to the Vatican with gifts, reigns over the kings of the earth. Putin again. So, this is Putin when he's young, with what, Pope John Paul II while he's old, and then all the way down to our time with Pope John Paul at the Vatican again. Castro, atheistic communism country, coming to the Vatican. Arabs coming, bringing the Quran, kissing the Quran. Saudi Arabia. Palestinian Ararat coming and greeting the Pope and kissing the Pope. Another Muslim cleric kissing the Pope, hugging the Pope. Iran! Shiites, Sunnis coming, embracing at the Vatican. Saudi Arabia holding hands. Jews coming president, prime minister, Netanyahu bringing gifts to, one time he brought a gift. He went again several times. One time he went, he presented a a gift of a book that his father, Netanyahu's father, wrote that uh, outlined some of the atrocities that had taken place. So very interesting. I don't know if the Pope ever read it, (laughs) (coughs) but the whole world, the UN. Packed house. Not a seat available. When Israel speaks to the UN, the place (laughs) empties out. Speaking to all the crowd at the UN. So Catholics, Protestants, Jews, Atheists, Russia, Cuba, Greek, Orthodox, Arabs. We could spend all night showing more and more pictures of leaders, of political leaders on many waters, nations, peoples, tongues, languages coming reigning over the kings of the earth. Revelation 17, verse 14, these will make war with the Lamb. And we saw that last week, the Armageddon, right? They're attacking the Lamb. How do they attack Yeshua? How are they attacking Yeshua? How can they attack Yeshua? He's in heaven. Make war with the Lamb. How do they make war with the Lamb? The Bible tells us. Yeshua said in Matthew 25, verse 40, what you have done to the least of these, my brethren, you have done to me. So they're not so much attacking God, they're attacking God through by attacking his people, persecuting his people. And the picture here is of Paul. And when Paul gets knocked, or Saul, it was Saul at that time, when he gets knocked off the horse, he sees the vision, the light, and he, and he hears the voice. And he says, who are you, Lord? He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul persecuting him literally? No, he was on his way to Damascus to persecute followers. So the the, the system with the kings of the earth make war, Revelation 12, 17. The devil is wroth and goes to make war with the remnant of her offspring, those who keep the commandments of God. And have the testimony of Yeshua. That unique combination. They come and make war against them. That hasn't happened yet. I mean, the little thing or lots of it over the history, but not worldwide, massive all at once. But that's what the Bible's predicting. So that hasn't happened yet. But that's where we're going. That's what's being predicted here. So most of history has taken place. Most of Revelation and Daniel has taken place. A small amount at the end is left to take place. And. The chapter before this, Revelation 16, 12, we saw this predicted. And what happens next, which we'll see mentioned in Revelation 17, all the kings of the earth unite together under this system to make war on those who disagree with its doctrines, those who refuse to go with its Sunday system, goes to make war on the land by persecuting its followers. And yet then something happens the sixth angel pours out its vial upon the great river Euphrates. River again, waters, multitude of peoples, running under Babylon, supporting Babylon. All of a sudden, the waters thereof was dried up that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. So the drying up of this support, we just saw all the kings of the earth are making fornication with this system and going and it's raining over it. But now it's being predicted, all of a sudden, all of that support is going to be drained out. It's going to dry up. Well, back to Revelation 17. Okay, the waters again representing the people and multitudes. Revelation 17, verse 16. The ten horns which you saw the beast, these will hate the harlot and make her desolate and naked and eat her flesh and burn her with fire. So they go from fornicating with her, they go from her reigning over them to all of a sudden, between verses, it switches at these... Horns, these kings, turn on her and they make her desolate, naked, and eat her flesh and burn her. The support system dries up. The Phrates River symbolism dries up. Its political power dries up somehow and it makes way for the kings of the east. What's the kings of the east? Next verse in Revelation 17, verse 14. And the lamb will overcome them for he is lord of lords and king of kings. And those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. Right? So if he is the king, and he's king of kings, then he has lower kings, right? Or the angels, or those that come with him. They reign, or he reigns, and the people reign with him. He makes his kings, and priests with him, co with him. Right? But he is the king. Right? And so he comes. The system dries up. People wake up to what... The system has been leading in its false doctrines and see what they're doing, and they turn on it, not in repentance, turn on it, attack it, they're attacking each other, and it just prepares the way for the Lord to return. And the Lord comes and overcomes them. And he is the Lord. So the river Euphrates dries up symbolically. The system, influence is dried up. Its support system is dried up so that Yeshua can come and deliver His people. That is still yet to come. Only a few verses left to happen. And so, again, we see this chapter, like all the other chapters, ends at the coming of Yeshua, takes us to the end of the coming of Yeshua. Over and over again, all of Daniel and Revelation is nothing but a review, 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 review of the history till our last days that we're living in. So again, we want to be with the right. There's a truth and there's a counterfeit. A good woman, a false woman. A lamb and a beast. Truth and error. We want to be on the right side. And so as we pray tonight, let us make our commitment to the Lord. If you haven't yet surrendered your life to the Lord, I encourage you to do so. You can know all this. You can know who the beast power is. You can know who the woman is and the beast with seven heads. You can know it all. But if you don't know the Lamb and you don't know the Lord, it's worthless. It won't do you any good. It won't protect you from the mark of the beast. It won't protect you from being deceived. We need to know the Lord. We need to know the Lamb. We need to be intimately connected with him. Not commit fornications with the false doctrines of the world, but united with the Lamb. Loving him with all our hearts and soul and mind. So if you've never done that, I invite you to surrender to him today and right now. If you have, I invite you to recommit and resurrender your life to him. To be protected from these false things. That we don't become just a daughter of the harlot. We may not be part of the harlot, but if we're following in its false doctrines and believing still some of its false doctrines, we're then still just a daughter of the system. We need to come out of Babylon, come out of the confusion, and come into God's light. And so let us pray together. Our Lord and our God, King of the universe, We praise your name and we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've re-reminded us of the importance of understanding the truth, difference between truth and error. And we want to follow you and not get caught up with even the good things, the nice things, many good things. It's a mystery. It's hidden under doing lots of nice things and good things. And all the world will seem great and united together. Lord, may we stand, and even if we stand alone, like eight people getting on the ark with Noah, May we stand with you, whether majority or minority, may we walk in your light and follow you. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.